want you to take your Bible this morning. Let's turn to the book of Exodus. We've all been challenged this morning as we think about the society into which God has placed us. In every age, God has been preparing people to challenge that age. It's no accident by God that you're alive today. No accident that God has given you the very faculties that you need, that God has given you the mind that you need, God has given you the education you need, and uh, all of us are still in the process of being prepared for the work of God. In the book of Exodus chapter 3 and into chapter 4, we have the call of God upon Moses. And I want to take today this um, the little phrase, and I'll, I'll come back here, but if you look in chapter 4, this whole scenario kind of comes full cycle, and it, and it finds its finality in, chap, in chapter 4 verse 12, where the Lord finally says to Moses, Now therefore, go. Now therefore, go. How did he come to the place where he was ready to do what God wanted him to do? We are all in that, that process. I heard Dr. J. Vernon McGee speaking on the radio way up in years, found out that he had cancer. He said on the radio in his Bible study, I thought for many years that once I passed a certain plateau that I would be ready to do anything God wanted me to do. I thought the real challenges of my life were behind me, but I find that the greatest challenges that I face, I face now. So what does that mean? That means we are all in a state of preparation for what God wants us to do now. Now, you know, I have determined, God being my helper, I'm going to have a good time in life. You know, you can make up your mind, you can have a good time, you can have a, you know, just a sour attitude. I like to be around people who have a good time. I'm going to, I'm going to holler at the ball game, just mark it down, I'm going to holler. I, you know, that's just the way it is. I told somebody the other day, they're not going to get the cheese out of my sandwich. New Age Movement doesn't have anything on me. They don't have joy. They don't have peace. They don't have assurance. I'm not going to hang my head in front of, uh, of them. I, I believe we'll live for God. I believe we have something to offer a world. And I believe we're all in a period of preparation. But the Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Now these fellows know, uh, I, had, I had one of the most embarrassing things in my life happen. We hadn't been, we hadn't been in Charlotte too long. And we wanted to go out and do something nice. And, and um, it's a true story. I mean, it happened just like I'm going to tell you. And so we decided one, one Friday night, there's a nice restaurant down on I-85, down a little near the airport from us, and about a 15-minute drive down the interstate. <clears throat> and uh, we decided one Friday night that we would go as a family. All our family were there. Bobby was there. Rusty was there. Randy was there. All the family were together, and we decided we'd go and have some seafood. Now, you can, know, you, you can tell I like food. Amen? I like seafood. I like to see food. I like to eat food. I like to talk about food. But uh, we, we were going to go. They have one of the finest seafood restaurants in all that part of it. I mean, it's luscious. And, and so we got to talking about it. And having come from Florida, I loved it anyway. And so we got to talking about it. All of us talking about it. I mean, the more we talked about it, the higher our temperature got. By the time we got to that restaurant that night, we were ready to get some of that succulent lobster and some of that, oh, you know, Man, it's getting too close to lunch. I better shut up. But anyway, we were, we were ready by the time we got to that restaurant to, uh, to, to really participate. But it was raining cats and dogs. I mean, it was pouring rain. So when I pulled up around there as close as I could get to that over, 
paying and, and, and right in front of the, of the main doors there and there were crowds of people trying to get in and get out. We couldn't get very close. So I pulled up as close as I could. I let all the family out. They went inside. I drove all the way around the back of the Sheraton there and I sat there in the car and I said, now I'm going to sit here for a while. If I sit here for a while, the rain will uh, let up a little bit and uh, I'll, I'll be able to get in. And boy, I mean, it just kept raining and raining and raining. I got to thinking while I was sitting there, if I had to sit here much longer, there's not going to be anything left. I sent all my family in there. I know my family. I won't get anything but leftovers. So I said, I'm going to leave where I am. I'm going to leave my car, and I'm going to make a mad dash for it to get into the restaurant. And I uh, opened the door, pulled my coat up around my neck like this. Well, I mean, it was raining, just coming down. And so I jumped out of the car, slammed the door, and started running around the side of the chair, and ran around this way over here, and ran around this way. And as I, as I came around, the, I was looking, the lights were shining. And as the lights were shining, it was making all the, the rain as it hit on that concrete and on the parking lot, just dance on it like that. And I looked in, and I kept running like this, and I could see it. And as I came around the corner, I, I saw that there was a row of flowers and a row of bushes right here. And on the other side was the, what looked like the patio, and, and the rain was hitting on it, and it was doing the same thing. And I thought, man, if I could get across that patio, I could get in the front door. I won't have to run all the way around that whole thing. I'll just jump through the hedges, and I'll get through the patio, and I'll get to the front door. And, uh, I just knew, and then I kept looking for it, and it looked like a little path between them. It said, somebody else has done this before me, running along. And I hit the path, and I went over, and I jumped on what I thought was a patio. Folks, it wasn't a patio. It was the fountain. <laughs> I jumped right in the fountain. <laughs> About right up there. <sighs> and it was cold. Everybody under that overpass looking at him and saying, that man jumped in the fountain. Had my coat on, had my tie on, just standing there like this, just standing there. I didn't know what to do. Never, and, and they didn't laugh. They didn't know whether to laugh, cry. Nobody helped me out. They just stood and looked at me like, nice cars, nice people, well-dressed. Finally, I just started walking toward the edge, and I walked all the way over the edge. I just, just started walking. They just looking at me. I said, anybody want to get baptized? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Hey, listen. You just have to go. You have to do. Be something. I mean, don't let a little obstacle stop you like a little fountain in front of a restaurant. I mean, go for it. I went inside, and the manager was in there, the, the manager of the restaurant, and I had met him a few days before, and he said, hello, Brother Price. I said, hello. He said, man, it's raining outside. I said, it's wetter than it's ever been before. <laughs> it's wet out there now. I'm telling you, it's wet. Moses was kind of a gung-ho type fellow. In fact, you know the story. Back when he was growing up in Egypt, he saw one of those Egyptians molesting and hurting one of his people, and he, with his own bare hands, we know he slew that man, and he took his life. He was a gung-ho type, type fellow. Here we find him. He's right at 80 years of age, but he's still, God is still preparing him and young people, in these uh, few moments, and all for all of us, for me, for everybody here, I want to I give you five things that I see here today that he had to realize before he could hear God say to him, all right, Moses, you're ready now. Now, therefore, go. You and I do face great challenges in the future. We face great things. But are we ready to go? What will it take for us to be ready as pastors, as leaders, as teachers, as missionaries, whatever God has called you to be. Be your best for the Lord. How can you do that? Let's look at it if we, if we would here. First of all, let's start reading in chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. 
And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. I want you to go back up. Leave, leave your place there and go back up to verse 21 just for a moment. I want you to see one of the, to me, one of the saddest statements in the Bible. It says, and Moses was content to dwell with the man. That's talking about Jethro. And he gave Moses a Porah, his daughter. Now, I want you to see what that's saying. Here is Moses. Here is the man who potentially had within him, when he had what God wanted him to have, when he was what God wanted him to be, he effected the greatest rescue in the history of mankind. He went right into the teeth of the Pharaoh, went right into Egypt that was the world's largest uh, oppressor at that time, the world's largest government. He went right in there. God used this man to walk in there and bring his people out of bondage. One man with the power of God on him. But look at what he was doing. He was content. He had settled in on the backside of the desert. He said, I'll just stay here. It's all right. This is good enough for me. This is big enough for me. It's not good enough, Moses. It's not big enough. God has something better and bigger for you to do. And God was waiting for him to listen to the Lord. Now watch it very carefully. Let's pick it up in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame, a fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the, the, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. I know the prayer of this pastor. I know the prayer of those who love you, and I believe in many of the hearts. When you come to a Bible conference like this, I believe God is looking for somebody who will look to see the burning bush. Somebody who'll turn aside to see, does God have a word for me in this conference? Can God speak to my heart? Why, Moses could have walked right on past. The Bible says, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, then God said, now I've got something for him. He was ready. He was listening. He turned aside to see. He gave attention to the message of God. And in that scenario, God began to call him and he told him, I'll call, I've come down and he says in verse 6, I am the God of thy father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters and I know their sorrow. I am come down to deliver them. And then he goes on to say, I will send you to deliver them. Boy, what a great challenge. But before he was ready in this whole contest, and I won't take time to read it, most of us have read it over and over. There are five things I want you to see. First of all, Moses was not ready to go until he knew that God was real to him. He said, preacher, that sounds too simplistic. No, it's not simplistic. Why, how, and how can a Christian be sucked into another religion? How can a Christian who knows the Lord Jesus be sucked into this thing we've just been talking about. But many are by the thousands. I'll tell you how God never became real to them. Never was real to them. Now you say, but, but didn't Moses know about the Lord? Oh, sure he knew about the Lord. Why? Why, why, why? he knew all about God for his mother. 
Jochebed had taken him and, and, and she had, had, had taught him from, from his infancy. She had told him all about, he knew all about God. He knew about the people of God. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says he made a conscious decision while he was still in Egypt that he would align himself with the people of God even though they were in bondage rather than align himself with a Pharaoh. He knew all about the history of the people of God. He knew all about God. He knew all about those things, but God was not real in his life as a personal reality until this day when he had a face-to-face -face confrontation with God Almighty and God became real to Moses at this point and it was at this point that his life was changed and he went on to do something great for God. You, want, you wonder why these grounds are hallowed to me? Why well, it was on the very grounds on which you walk every day that God did things in my life and made, made himself real to me. Well, we'd, we'd gone off on a weekend Revival meeting, some of us were singing and speaking, gone down to a little old place outside of Mobile, Alabama. Our preacher, Mike, of course, had brought a car. I mean, it, it, it should have been buried years before. It was a 53 Mercury. When we, we drove down to Mobile and back and used 40 quarts of oil. Honestly. It was blowing out of that engine so bad that we finally, then this is the truth, we finally got a gallon jug, tied a hose on, in those days they had a blowback thing on the top of the engine. We took that thing off, tied the hose from that to the gallon jug. When it would get so low on oil that the motor would just hardly strain like that, we'd go open the hood and pour the oil back in the engine like that. It was blowing it out of there. Forty quarts of oil. We, but we saw God do some things in that meeting. I tell you, the glory of the, of the Lord came down. And I didn't even know where we were going to be able to pay our bills. We came back home that weekend and, and, and we had final exams the next week and, I, and I, I didn't know where it was going to be. And I said, God, if you don't intervene, I won't be able to stay. And I went by, over by the mailbox and I always liked to go by and feed my spider. You know, he had built a nice nest in there and came in late and went in there to feed the spider and there was an envelope. And in that envelope, a check from a man I hadn't heard from in months and months and months. And just exactly enough money to pay for my school bill. And I walked down then the alley down past the temple building. My feet weren't touching, touching the ground. Why? Because God was real to me. My God was real to me. And that reality has carried me through these days. And sometimes you have good days and sometimes you have dark days and sometimes the clouds gather around your shoulders and you think you'll never see daylight but my friend if you know that God is real to you you're ready to do something for him and the words and the winds of this world will not be able to suck God's people into their devices if God is real to you in a personal way Moses wasn't ready until he knew God was real to him and if you look here he became real and he becomes real when he heard him speak has God spoken to your heart this week? Listen to Him. In your own private devotions, the, the Word of God spring off the pages and begin to ring in your heart. And there's those things that, boy, just you said, that was for me, Lord, that was for me. Have we felt His presence? Have you enjoyed the presence of God? I, I enjoy sports. And early in my... I guess it was in high school days, somebody introduced us to the fact of the ever-presence 
of the Holy Spirit. I played on a Christian high school baseball team. There weren't very many of those in those days. We had to play all public schools. Sometimes we won, sometimes we lost. And I was a catcher. And I have joyfully and cheerfully bought the catching equipment for this year's baseball team. That was my joy. He called me and said, we want to try to get the ball team going again. We'll get a baseball team going. What would you like to do? I said, you find out what it costs to find to buy the finest catching gear around and I'm going to pay for it. And I have done so. Why? Because it was in some of those days I'd be couched down behind that, uh, that plate and I played ball for four years here at Tennessee Temple and I'd be saying, come on Don, fire the ball to me. You don't want Don, fire that right here. Boy, I'd say, you couldn't hit it with a washboard. You know, I'd, get, I'd talk to everybody and I'd talk. You couldn't hit it if it's big as a basketball. Come on Don, you don't want to fire the ball. Just go on. But in my heart I was saying, oh God, please help us today. Lord, we're Christian school. We're playing a lot of Christian schools, a lot of, a lot of young people. They don't know anything about God. We had young people saved on the baseball diamond right here at Tennessee Temple. One of our fellows get on first base, and the guy would be over there holding him on first base, and he'd say, hey, fellow, you know Jesus is your Savior. <laughs> Honest to God, I'm telling you, that's the truth. That's the truth, man. You see, when Christ becomes real to you, He, he enters every fiber of your being. I mentioned last night about my first date with Maydell. Boy, I want to tell you, when I... I said, now, Lord, I know it's a big request, but God, that's a nice girl right there. Mmm. You believe you can talk to God about everything? You see, Moses was not ready to go until he had heard the voice of the Lord, until he had felt the presence of the Lord, until he had seen his fire fall. I, I long for this, young people, and, and, and I, I say this to my alumni brethren here. We were talking last night after, after the services and, and, and I longed for some of us to go and build a church that people would come to and say the fire of God rested on this place. God did things here. If God's called you to the mission field, go pick you out a spot and go get the power of God on your life and let God do something to that place that people from all around would come to see the fire of God. What we need today is the fire of God to fall among us. And once you begin to see that, and once you begin to know that, and once you begin to feel that, those dark hours that you've had, when, you, when there's nobody there but you and God alone, there is that presence, there is that lifting of Himself. I'm going to tell you something else. Number two, He was not willing and not ready to go. Not, first of all, until He knew that God was real, but secondly, He wasn't ready to go until He knew that He was real to God. You see, it was one thing his, his mother taught him about how he had been rescued and, and, and how he had come and he knew all of that. And he knew about the people of God. But here on a day, all of a sudden, back in, 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 in the back of, of the desert, and I call this U of D, he was in the University of the Desert. But he wasn't ready to go back to the place yet. But there he was on the back side of the desert. He figured nobody knew where he was. But on a day he was walking along and he saw that burning bush and he walked over to it and a voice spoke out of there and called him by name. Moses! Moses! Called him by name! And I want you to know today that you and I are not ready to go for God. We're not ready to charge the evil of this world with the message of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the message of deliverance until we realize that we are someone to God 
We are a person. He knows us. He knows you. He knew who he was. He knew where he was. And he knew what he was. And if you and I were voting for somebody to go in and rescue the people from out of the clutches of Egypt and from the Pharaoh, you and I would not have voted on Moses. But God doesn't look at people like we look at them. God doesn't look at them at where they are. He looks at them in light of what they can be if they'll turn their lives over to him. And he saw something in Moses that nobody else saw. He saw what he had made him to be. He was real to God. Not just another face in the crowd. Not just another student. Not just another little preacher somewhere preaching at a church. Not just some person in the retirement years. But he was real to God. And all of a sudden he felt that God had a purpose for his life. Number three, he wasn't ready to go until he knew that God cared about hurting people. How many times I've wondered, in fact, over in chapter four, when, when Moses goes to talk to Jethro, his father-in-law, and, and after he's ready to go back, he goes over to him and he says, Jethro, I... I'm going to go back to Egypt. God's called me to go back and I want to go back and see my family. And then he makes a reference to him. He said, I haven't heard from any of them in a long time. And I wonder how many nights he sat out there in the desert watching those cattle and sat around the fire and sat, wondered about his mother and his brethren and all those people and wondered what it must be like. He wondered how they were. It must have been something to him when God Almighty spoke out of that bush that day and he said to him, and we read it just a while ago, Moses, I have seen their affliction. Moses, I have heard their prayer. Moses, I know what's happening in the hearts and lives of those people back there. All of a sudden it dawned on Moses that God was a God who cares about the hurting. All my life, as since I've been a minister, I've prayed that God would give me a pastor's heart. You see, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15 says, God will give you pastors according to my heart. And they will give you knowledge and understanding. It's one thing to just give blatant, just, just, just bland knowledge of the Bible, but somehow to be able to take it from just the pages and all of a sudden it becomes real to me and all of a sudden the truths of the Bible are real and something I can get my hands on. And all of a sudden somebody shows me the heart of God. That's how God is. That's the heart of God. And Moses wasn't ready to go until all of a sudden he, beside that burning bush, began to feel the throb of the heart of God. God cares about my family. God cares about his people. God knows how they're hurting. God will do something for them. I was thinking this morning about a young lady who grew up in our Christian school, Panama City, graduated, got married. First name was Lisa, went to another church. One afternoon, Lisa called me with broken voice. She could hardly talk. And, and I said, Lisa, what's the matter, sweetheart? And she said, Brother Price, my baby just died. Will you come 
and help us with the funeral. It was a simple little funeral and we went to the graveside and I stood there beside her and, and before we left she, she put her head on my shoulder and I just held her for a while and I, I just felt her body shake. And I never, as I watched, she, she said, made a statement and turned around and walked back to that car that they had prepared for the family and I've never forgotten it. She looked me in the eyes and she said, Preacher, it hurts so bad. I've never forgotten that. It hurts so bad. Folks, you and I sometimes are insulated by our Christianity. Do you realize how the world is hurting out there today? Do you realize what sin has done to the lives of people today? Do you realize what, 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 what the devil has done to wreck lives and homes? And why in the world is it that young people are committing suicide? It's not because they're happy, it's because they're hopeless. And he wasn't ready to go. I mean, he wasn't ready to charge into that domain of Pharaoh until he realized that behind him was a God who had a, God, a heart that cared about the people there and their pain and their agony and their anguish. And he said, I'm going to send you. And behind you, I want you to know there's a heart that cares. Preacher, it, it hurts so bad. Moses wasn't ready to go until God was real to him and, and he wasn't ready to go until he was real to God. God, you know me, you know where I am, you know who I am, you know what I am and you still want me. He wasn't ready to go until he knew that God had a heart that cared about hurting people. He wasn't ready to go until he could know that God could use what he had. This is an interesting encounter. It starts in chapter verses 2 where Moses has been sort of arguing with him and he said Moses and he really if you read this whole thing he'd really got kind of aggravated because he kept telling him I am you go tell him that the I am will, will go with you and I am and I'll be with you and I am will do all this and he said Lord yeah yeah but you know and he had a speech impediment he said I'm slow of speech the interesting thing about this is he was slow of speech. But once he got to speaking, he wouldn't even let Aaron say a word. You, you read the rest of it. God said, okay, I'll send Aaron to go with you. Try to find any place in here where Aaron said anything. When Moses got full of the Lord, he wouldn't let Aaron even say anything. And, and he had a little speech impediment of some kind. He says, I'm slow of speaking. And I've often wondered what that was. You know, he said, Lord, 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 Lord I can't. I can't do it. Well, if you think it was bad then, you, you should have seen it when God began to show him what he could do with what he had. Because God said, what's that in your hand, Moses? He said, it's, it's, it's just a rod. He said, throw it down on the ground. He threw it down the ground. Guess what it became, folks? It became a snake. Huh? And he said, and he backed away from it. You know what God wanted to show him? God wanted to show him what he had was really like when it was in his hand. He said, that's all it is. It's just, it's just, it's just an instrument in your hand, and that's what it's worth, and that's what it really is. But he said, if you'll put it in my hand, I'll show you what it is. Reach down there and take it back up. And he reached down and took it back up, and that was a real act of faith right there. Amen. <laughs> 
a real act of faith. And he reached down and he picked that thing up and then it became a rod again. What kind of rod? It became a rod that he stretched out over the waters and God parted the rod, the waters of the Red Sea. Huh? And what did it become? It became a rod that he was able to go and strike the rock and out of the rock came water. God just wanted to show him, when you possess what you have and what you are, it's nothing more than a serpent. But when you let me have what you are, I can turn it into an instrument of peace and blessing and joy and witness. And he had to learn that what he was and what he had, God could use to effect a powerful change. And number five, he had to know that God would go with him all the way. In chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go? And he said in verse 12, Certainly I will be with thee. I was thinking the other day about a young man who was in school with us here. He had a speech impediment. His first name was Don. And when we had our devotions on in the night, he got, he got marked absent more than he got marked present because by the time he got out here, I mean, he was got reading off the road was already gone. And they'd call out Don so-and-so and wouldn't anybody say anything. And he was over there trying to go, <laughs> he, he, he couldn't get it out. Nobody ever really expected Don to do much for God. But Don said, I'm going to be a missionary for the Lord. And he went to the mission field. And several years later, he came to our church when I was still in Louisville, Kentucky. And I was amazed as that man stood and told what God had done. You know what he said? He said, I learned that God was with us in the heart of the jungle. When it was so dangerous there, and when they told us that you better get out, your life's in danger, and the government sent word that, that they better get out of there, he said, all that time I felt the presence of God. Young, young people, let me tell you something today. You're not ready to go for God. You're not ready to leave. You're not ready to do anything for God until, first of all, you know God is real in your life. I mean, is he real? I'm not talking about something you've heard about. Somebody, I'm not talking about what your parents talked you about. I'm talking about is he real in your life. I have three sons and they're in the ministry. Rusty's here this morning and brought these young men. But they know my heart. The greatest thrill of my life as a parent is not that my children got saved. I'm glad they got saved. I praise God they got saved. But there came a day in each one of their lives when the torch of reality began to be held high in their own life. They began to run for God, not because their daddy was a preacher, not because their daddy knew something about the Lord, not because of their daddy, but on their own, they began to run for God. And then I wanted to get over in the sideline and say, Go for it, boy! Go for it! Run on your own for Jesus! Live for Jesus on your own! And I don't know your parents. <clears throat> but I'm sure most of you or many of you are students come from a Christian home I'll tell you one thing they may not know how to say it but the greatest desire of their life is not that you get a good education the greatest dream of their life is not that your grade point average is way up high the greatest dream of their life is that somehow along the way you'll get a hold of the fact that God Almighty is real in your life and nothing can wrest it from you and then that it'll dawn on you that not only is God real to you, but that you are real to God. And that God knows you. And that God can use what you have. And that God has a heart to help people. And we are allowed to be the hands for God. 
and the lives for God to reach out to people and let them know about Jesus? And that He will take what we have if we will put it in His hands and transform it into something powerful to be used of Him. You think, I don't have a lot of talent? Don't measure your talent, measure your God. Have a little talent, put it in God's hand. He'll turn around and make something out of it. Good night. If there's anybody in this building who shouldn't be up over here preaching, it's me. If there's anybody in a country who ought not to be pastoring a church with several thousand members, it's me. You ought to see where we came from. But it doesn't matter, folks. The thing that matters is, do you know God? Do you have a big God? Is He real to you? Are you real to Him? Did you know that? And did you know that He has a heart? And He's looking for somebody to use to touch a world. And did you know He can take what you have and use it for His glory? And did you know something else? He'll walk all the way with you to the end of the road. He'll be there. I preached last Wednesday night, last Sunday night on more grace than you'll ever need. Out of the book of James, he giveth more grace. I don't know what you face, but I know one thing, he's got more grace than you'll ever need. The word of God says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where loneliness abounds, more grace than you'll ever need. Where need abounds, there's more grace than you'll ever need. He's got more grace. And he brings it with himself. It's in the person of the Lord Jesus. And when Moses went all the way through these things in his life, God Almighty said to him, God Almighty said to him, Now Moses, now therefore, now you know, now you're ready, now therefore, go.